Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 234. Got a really good show lined up for you this week and a lot of fun stuff to talk about. In our warm-up segment, we're going to have our City of the Week, Player of the Week, Equipment Tip of the Week, have a very strong Did You Know, a really good listener question, and of course, Paige's Power Play. In our leadoff segment, we're going to talk about a big headline that was broke the other day about uh, Patty Gasso at Oklahoma becoming by far the highest paid softball coach in the history of softball. We wanted to talk about people's perceptions about what it means to be a college coach and the gigantic money that everybody thinks that uh, college coaches are making. In our cleanup topic, we're going to bounce over to some recruiting stuff. Had a couple of different people reach out with some ideas and suggestions. Want to just give some uh, general advice. In our coaching tip of the week, I got a, a little some words of wisdom for all of our coaching friends uh, based on some stuff that's going on in my life here in the last couple of weeks. So before we get into all that, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus nine rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to Save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. The other thing we want to talk about is patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. We've had a pretty good stretch going. We've added um, a bunch of patrons here in the last couple of months, but it's crucial for the success and the long-term health of this podcast that we continue to keep that momentum up. If you're in a position where you can help us, it's either five, 10 or $20 a month. You go to patreon.com. It's all explained to you there. The reality of it is that if we had not had our longstanding patrons and the enthusiastic and uh, optimism that we're uh, gaining from the fact that we're adding more patrons recently, Coach Don and I probably would have had to close this up and and moved on to doing something else with our time uh, several weeks ago, maybe a month ago. The good news is enough people have come on board that it's giving us hope. The bad news is that it's still not enough people. I was going to say, Tori, and it just, I mean, it covers the costs and it's, right. it's fun. I enjoy getting together, but again, it has to make sense. Right. To, yeah. If, yeah. if uh, somebody wants to pay all the bills and we can just do it for fun, I would do it for fun. Right. But unfortunately, we're the ones paying all the bills and we've been paying the bills now for five-ish years, keep this thing going. And uh, uh, we're just going to tell you the, the absolute flat truth. We're going to have to get a thousand percent more patrons for five years to get back to even. Right. So the fact that we're just asking for a few more of you to come on board so that we can break even monthly now so that we don't go any further into debt to to support the podcast, that's all we're asking. So if you see value in what we're doing, if you enjoy it, if it's something that you think is important to keep alive, help us keep it alive by going to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch, and it's all going to be explained to you there. Now, and that's going to take us to our warm-up segment. Our warm-up segment is sponsored by Bittinger & Styles DDS in Webster, Mass. If 
you're in the area and you have any needs at all, any dental needs at all, please make sure you check out the folks at Bidinger and Styles. They're strong softball people, and we'd love for you to support them. We appreciate them greatly, yeah. Absolutely. So, Don, our city of the week is Nashua, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. That's, again, up north. Hopefully they've got lots of softball and they're uh, sharing the podcast, obviously. Yeah, well, the thing that over all these years of traveling for softball, I've been to New England for a couple of different showcases and things like that. And I've always loved that part of the country. I always thought that it was really beautiful. The thing that's uh, exciting for us is to see the numbers jumping in a place like Nashua. It's crucial that we continue to see the numbers grow. The, the numbers go up constantly. You know, it's, a, it's a slow, steady climb. But whenever we see a spike, see the numbers uh, take a big jump in an area, it means that somebody is listening to our weekly call for action to make sure that we find people that are fast pitch folks that maybe have not listened yet, that don't know about everything fast pitch or coach prep and getting them hooked up. And I think what ends up happening is once somebody listens, they keep coming back. And so if we can keep sharing the word, uh, getting more people to listen, it'd be a, be a really cool thing. I know the fun thing too, Tori, is there's so much in the past that we've done that's uh, really good to go back and listen to as well. Yeah, well, almost five years now worth of it's podcast a lot information, of episodes, a, lot of, yeah. a lot of episodes. I, mean, I always caution you, you know, I have a couple of people that have told me now in the last <laughs> several months that they are you know, going all the way back to the beginning and starting to, you know, to listen to all of the back podcasts. They're awesome for doing it, but. <laughs> but uh, I would start at about number 25 or 30. I wouldn't listen to that first uh, half a year or so because the, the uh, there's just no nice way to say it. We, we were figuring we, it out. Well, And we don't know much now, but we know a million percent <laughs> more now than we did then. And we have um, Stan. And, and Stan's doing a great job on the production side, so the, the quality continues to improve. But uh, there's a lot of information there, a lot of stuff that's available to you, and if you can uh, do a good job of uh, getting other people to listen, we would really appreciate it. So Nashua, New Hampshire, congratulations. You're the City of the Week. All right, folks, so it's time for me to beg again. We need Player of the Week nominations. There are thousands of you that listen. We're asking for a handful of you a week to, to jump send in, us jump in an and go. email. A player that you know did something great on the field, a player that you know that's doing something great in the classroom, that's done something great in the community. A team helping, yeah, helping the community. Yeah, yeah. any of those kinds of things are the kinds of things that we want to recognize. One of the things that I think happens sometimes is people on the nomination side, you know, all of you as listeners, either you don't want to nominate somebody because it's your kid, you don't want to nominate somebody because you feel like, well, is that really good enough? Have they really done enough? Have they really you know, accomplished enough that it's be, be worthy of recognition for player of the week. Here's what I'll tell you. Just go ahead and send us the nomination and coach yeah. Don and I can figure out whether we agree that it's worthy or not. You, you don't have to be the, uh, the judge jury and executioner. You can just be the one to, to send in the, the information. And all we really need is a, sh- a short little email, enough information about the player and what it is that you're nominating them for, that we can have a feel for what the accomplishments are. And then Coach Don and I will get together and we'll figure it out. But we need nominations. We need them desperately. It's meaningful to me. It's, it means a lot to Coach Don and I to know that players are wearing those shirts, that they're proud of what they've accomplished, and that it means something to them that they're excited to have been recognized. And Tori, like you said, too, it's, it's great if a parent wants to recognize their athlete right. as well. I think that's super. And even if that inspires them to work a little bit harder, that's even better. Right. right. None of the kids that we've recognized so far, I think, are the kid that's going, oh my gosh, I was player of the week. I don't need to work hard anymore. Right. If you want to make those nominations, please reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Either one of those email addresses. Send us the nominations. As we said before, just a little bit of information. 
and then Coach Don and I'll sort it out. And uh, we'd love to start uh, recognizing a player of the week each week again, starting next week. So, folks, we need you to get busy, get after it, and send us those nominations. So, now on the equipment tip of the week, let's talk about the Square Cuts training disc. Yeah, the discs, Tori, uh, this week I had a new, we do both softball and baseball stuff a lot of times here at the batting cages, and we had a, a young guy come in that had never seen the discs before, and of course, uh, you know, when we hit him in our, our long tunnel, he was really excited. He, he says, it just feels smooth, it just feels clean and easy, and we've talked about it before where um, the size of a baseball bat, when they hit a baseball, they keep clipping the top of the tee. Right. If they hit the baseball proper, or squared or centered, you know, they're getting a piece of the tee, the tee's wobbling and all that stuff. But when they hit these discs with their baseball bats, they're picking them clean and nice and smooth. And uh, he was really excited. His description was it feels really smooth. Right. So I thought that was fun. Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, we know about the, the square cuts training discs is that uh, it certainly applies to softball, baseball equally well. The same basic concept of is all the energy in my swing actually going into the ball or is it some of it being wasted? You know, we talk about squaring the ball up all the time. You know, people talk about it like there's some sort of magic, you know, mystery pill that, that's out there in the distance that nobody really knows what it really is. You know, it's like you know it when you do it, but you don't really know how you did it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, what the Square Cuts training disc is going to do, just like the name says, it's going to let you know for sure if you're really square to the ball. And if you're square to the ball... That means that the power that you're creating has a much better chance of going into the ball and leading to something special. Now, obviously, if you barely clip the bottom or you barely clip the top, you're still not hitting it very hard. But at least if we can start off knowing that we're square, that the bat is on the right path in relationship to the ball, then the adjustments are a whole lot easier. If I'm hitting the top of the ball and I'm hooking way around it, Obviously, I've got a bigger problem than just it's going to tell on you quickly. Yeah, and so the square cuts training just is going to help you figure that out very, very quickly. So if you need a set, well, you all need a set. You need a set for your training at home. They're forty nine ninety five a dozen. Coaches think you need a set or two to have for practices, so that it's another drill, another station, and another way for you to have your players be able to pick something up to gain something in practice without you necessarily standing over their shoulder watching them take every single swing. You can show them how the disc is supposed to fly, show them some ways that they can use it, and then that station basically coaches itself. They'll know for sure every single time if they're truly square or not, and if they are, they'll start to give them confidence that they're doing some things well. And if they're not, you don't have to be a genius to figure out what happened. And when it flies like a helicopter, it tells you what you did. So again, they're forty nine ninety five a dozen. You go to the fastpitchprep.com website and order them up. We'll get them shipped to you right away. And we have them here in stock, and I think it's a great training tool. Not quite to the holiday season yet, but we're going to be thinking about team gifts for coaches and something for that softball player that really likes to work out at home. Get them ahead of time. Yeah, go ahead and get them now so you've got them. Um, And again, it's $49.95 a dozen, so it's a really affordable training tool, and they're very durable. The only thing I regret is I wish we would have made them a little bit more uh, (laughs) fragile. Uh, a little bit less durable so that uh, we'd have you know a little bit more return purchase on people that need them because they're wearing them out. But the good news is we're getting return purchases, but it's because yes. people want more of them, not because they need them because the ones that uh, they have didn't hold up. Uh, I've got some in my cage now that are the initial prototypes from when we first started working on this project uh, what, over three years ago now, and they get hit every single day and they're still holding up just fine. Hanging in there. Good deal. So did you know, Don, this week is a serious topic. 
player that plays at University of Michigan, uh, Kaylee Rodriguez, is battling cancer. She was diagnosed recently with a, with a cancerous tumor and is going through a whole lot of medical and physical and, and challenging stuff. They've created a GoFundMe page for Kaylee. Right. And I know that it's one of those things that we all know lots of people that need help. And a lot of times it all kind of blends together. It's hard to think about, well, how can I help everybody that needs help? Uh, but if you're in a position where you can, Kaylee's, uh, everything that I've read, I certainly don't know her personally, but everything that I've read, everything that I've seen, a great player, great kid, you know, obviously has accomplished a lot to be playing at a school like Michigan, comes from the state of Florida. And so obviously just a really uh, sad story that she's going through what she is. And if uh, we're in a position, if we can, go to the GoFundMe for Kaylee Rodriguez and uh, make a donation if you can. I know that they would appreciate the financial support. But I think also more meaningful is just the moral support and the... Uh, Prayers for her wellness. Right. Yeah. And, and the fact that every time somebody goes to a GoFundMe, obviously it's nice if we have the financial help that that leads to. But it's also kind of nice, even if it's a dollar. You know, if a million people donate a dollar, that's a million people telling you, hey, we're pulling for you. If you can, uh, again, please help out uh, Kaylee Rodriguez. And did you know, um, it's a serious topic this week, but we want to make sure we can do whatever we can to help her out. So Don, our listener question this week comes to us from Maddie. And Maddie's question is, outfielder's first step should always be back, right? That's what I was taught, and I'm trying to do the same for the kids I coach. Am I correct? What are your thoughts? Well, I think that's interesting, Tori. Again, we want to always try and keep the ball in front of us. And if our instinct is, is to be prepared to go back, I think that that's a helpful thought. Again, ideally, if you're able to read off the bat, you know, which direction we need to head, that's perfect. But I think that that, you know, that little pause, even if it's a pause or a hesitation just for a second to make sure we're reading, you know, whether or not they squared it up at the plate, you know, is I think legit. And I think most of the time that I would call it more of a hesitation than an actual step back maybe, but we're, you know, we're bracing, getting ready to go back or open up in the direction that uh, we're expecting the ball to go, you know, so that first drop step is going to be, you know, one side or the other, obviously. Right. Um, But we, we definitely don't want to get burned. Right. Well, I think there's several parts to this that I think are worth discussing. And I think uh, I'm guessing that Maddie is working with pretty young players that she's talking about, you know, teaching them the, this level of, of skill. In some cases, I would agree that it's, you know, and, and you touched on it, you know, that getting burned is always a bad idea. So if our thought is to step back first, chances are it's going to keep that from happening as often as it might. The flip side of that is it also means that there's a lot of other balls that I'm not going to catch because I am going in, in the wrong way, possibly. Right. right. I'm going yeah. in a direction that might, might not be taking me to where the ball is actually supposed to be. For very young players, for teaching kids, you know, the, the first instinctive, movements. I don't think there's anything wrong with this as a strategy, but I think it's something that is not necessarily the end-all be-all solution. And again, another part of this that we don't really know is how often we're practicing and how much we get to work with our outfielders. If we're working with our outfielders regularly, I think that their first step should always be to where they're going to catch the ball. And so if it's in front of them, their first step should be forward. If it's to their right, their first step should be to their right. If it's to their left and, and so on. It makes kind of sense to me to think of it that way. And I think if we're getting enough repetition and the kids are getting a chance to see the ball off the bat enough, that they should start to be able to do a little bit of that mental math, that uh, calculation when the ball gets struck, to have a better idea of where it needs to go. The last part about this is um, one of the balls I think Maddie's really talking about is 
that missile that's hit right at you that's hard to judge at first. You don't know whether it's really coming right at you, if it's going to you know, have the rocket pack on it and go over your head or die in front of you and, and be one of those sinking line drives. And again, so I think with a little bit of a, uh, extra work, a little bit of practice time, we can help the players gain enough knowledge and experience to be able to handle all those options. Tori, I like exactly what you're saying is the, the repetitions and being able to see it and read it. And, you know, as you're describing it, I'm, I'm envisioning batters that are, you know, leaning at the waist and poking at the ball. Right. That one's not going to be jumping over our head. If we're at the point where we're letting our outfielders know pitch location and, and pitch type, like a change up, and we see the, the batter's front shoulder opening up and them just stabbing at it. That's not going to be one that's going to go sailing over our head. And to your point, first step going in is critical. You're going to, some are going to drop if we're making that first step back. Right. As we started this segment, if we know that we're going to be in a situation where everybody's clobbering the ball and it's going over our shoulder, right, left, right, left, straight over our head, we definitely need to be prepared for more of that right. if, if we're overmatched a little bit that, that particular game. But yeah, I think it's a, an instinctive thing when outfielders are getting good jumps. We're like, how did she get such a good jump? That was amazing. And it's through practice and familiarity. Right. So, yeah. well, and a couple of things uh, I think this makes me think about. One is our attitude as coaches and how we're teaching our outfielders to play. If my goal as a coach is to make sure that we never get burned no matter what, and that is my number one priority in the outfield. And again, if we've got you know, very young outfielders who you know, might struggle to catch the ball anyhow, you know, keeping it in front of them is a safe Big strategy. Yeah. But so if my attitude is we, and we we're going to always play it safe, we're going to make sure we keep the ball in front of us no matter what, then obviously this strategy fits right in with that. If my attitude as a coach is more like, well, I want you know, my outfielders to be more aggressive and to go after the ball and try to make plays, you know, then the idea of planting a seed that they always should go back first, I think is a bad idea. Some of this, I think, is going to be very situationally based, depending upon the age, skill, development of the players that you're working with. With very young players, I don't think they've got the visual tracking skills and uh, experience yet to catch very many fly balls ever. For those kids, you know, maybe it, it changes the way you would ask them to play in the outfield versus you know, a little bit more experienced player that's starting to you know, be able to read the ball and all those kinds of things. We've talked about this one. This is the last thing I'll say about this um, to try to help uh, give a little bit more context to Maddie's question. One of the biggest mistakes we make in training our players is that our outfielders don't get a chance to see enough balls get hit to them from home plate at the same kind of angles and the same kind of depth that they're going to be hitting and getting balls hit at them in real game situations. So we'll see this a lot at practice. We definitely see it in pregame where we'll have four, five, six outfielders all standing in a group, you know, out in center field and a coach will be hitting balls to them from the foul line or from behind, you know, the base or whatever, but not quite, you know, the full feeling of hitting from home plate. If you're a right fielder, if you're a left fielder, you know, the ball's going to have different angles, different, you know, spins, different fades and different slices and all those things I think are important. And so one of the things that I would, you know, strongly recommend to all of us is that we make sure that in our practice planning, we're always spending time with outfielders in their positions, getting multiple balls hit so that they get a chance to get, you know, the experience that we've talked about. So that they know, you know, that there's a way that it looks, the way that it sounds, the way that it feels when somebody crushes the ball. You know, Don, your, your description of, you know, butt out, bat out, just poking at the ball is a whole different kind of thing for an outfielder to see and, and gain experience with versus 
right on time, looks like you know she's going to crush the ball, sounds like she did crush the ball, chances are she probably did crush the ball kind of situation. And so the more time that those outfielders can get actually seeing the ball from that angle, I think is also going to be really beneficial. No, and as you're describing that, Tori, I'm, I'm thinking of you know even having the infielders in there and when a ball is hit, for second base or shortstop to be going out as that lead, either relay or you know potential cut person, for them to decide how far out they need to go. So right. they, they kind of know what kind of arm each outfielder has, and we want to maximize the potential from each of those outfielders. And then after that, sending the infielders off to the cages. They go hit while we right. continue to give the outfielders more experience off the bat, like you said, with balls cutting. A right-handed batter, the ball is going to slice, you know, a little bit more towards right. Yeah. Left-handed batter, it's going to cut down down that line as well. So, um, and and one yeah. of the things I would recommend is is make this a station in your hitting practice. Let's have instead of doing a full scrimmage live hitting on the field or you know everybody in position, we can have the infielders going through their hitting circuit. You know, they might have you know two or three stations. You know, one kid in the cage with a coach, and then one person out on the field. Let's have a coach doing front toss on the field with the outfielders in their positions. Because if it's front toss, we know the ball's going to get hit a lot. Yep. They're going to get a lot of repetition, and it's a great way for them to see the ball a bunch off the bat from you know, different kinds of hitters. Obviously, you know, a coach hitting fungos and hitting fly balls and line drives and stuff like that has some benefit, and I would be doing that from home plate as much as I could, but I would also be doing as much of this simulated live hitting you know, and if you've got four outfielders, put two of them in center so that, you know, when, you know, the ball gets hit to left field, that f- the first center fielder can, you know, actually be playing center field, moving to back up and stuff like that while they're recovering and getting back to their position. Then other, the, the second center fielder can jump in and we can be ready to go a little bit faster. So, but Maddie, we really do appreciate your question. Coach Don and I love talking about stuff that you're interested in. And so if you have questions, ideas, comments, suggestions for topics, please make sure you reach out to us. Again, the same email address. So when you're all sending me your Player of the Week nomination this week, you can add a second paragraph with a question or a suggestion or a topic that you'd like us to talk about. Double them up. And uh, they all go to everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. So Don, that's going to take us into this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, it's Paige here and... Again, I want to make sure that everybody has heard this message because I am so excited about this next group going into my program, The Confident Athlete. So if you haven't heard yet, here's a little bit more. I want you to be informed because I feel that it's fair to say as parents, we want the absolute best for our kids. And I can't believe that this time around, I can finally be included in the parents title. (laughs) Have a a little baby Mick. He is a boy, but you know, um, but is all accurate that besides being Mick's mom now, I am so passionate about supporting parents as they help their daughters confidently grow in their athletic game. And with that growth comes commitment, a little sacrifice and a lot of hard work, which I know you guys are already doing. And I know sometimes it feels like the results aren't showing even with that. So in this program, if you're feeling a little bit on the fence or curious, like who's the confident athlete for, let me help you figure that out. Here's some things that I actually wrote down, like, this is who I want the confident athlete for competitive athletes ready to take their game to the next level, 
parents that understand the importance of the mental game and the mental health of their daughter, parents that want their athletes to learn life lessons from playing sports, parents that want their daughters to have confidence as an athlete and as a young woman, parents that want their daughters to have tools to overcome any challenges that come their way in their lives, parents that are going to hold their daughters accountable to to doing the work and showing up in the program, parents that don't make excuses for their daughter, parents that want to see their daughter grow and become the best version of themselves, parents that want to learn alongside their daughter, athletes who are committed to this journey of growing and building and a confident mindset both on and off the field. I know for a fact this is the kind of parent I want to become and I want to show up when it comes to my son. So just replace daughter with son for me and all of these. And who knows, hopefully he's going to be an athlete one day. But if this sounds like you and your daughter, go grab your spot now inside the confident athlete. You won't regret it. And if you're at the, the least bit hesitant and you're looking for more information, I would love, I would be more than happy and love to help you. So just reach out, send me a message um, go on my website, pagechons.com, apply for the confident athlete and see if this program is going to be a good fit for you. So Don Page's confident athlete program is something that I think every player should be taking advantage of. Obviously it's going to help our kids be more confident and, and play the game better, but the things that they're also learning are going to make them better in the real world. They're going to make them more confident in school. They're just going to make them more confident and, more, and happier kids in general. So Please, if you can, take advantage of it. It's pagetons, T-O-N-Z dot com. Paige is a rock star. We're super happy that she's part of the Everything Fast Pitch team, and uh, we want to support her programs every way we can. Don, that's going to take us to this week's lead-off topic. Our lead-off topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods, located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at elitesportsorders at yahoo.com. Anything you need, bats, balls, equipment, spirit wear, the whole nine yards, they've got it, and they're happy to ship anywhere in the country. Um, The folks at Elite have been doing it for a long time. They're good at it. So if you need anything at all, make sure you reach out to them. I was going to say, Tori, too, I had uh, a couple of coaches talking about how supply chain and issues getting their uniforms that, uh, you know, they might be able to reach out to Elite and talk to them about getting practice jerseys that could substitute until right. they're until they're real yeah some sort of there. a dry fit dry fit type shirt or something like that that's a, yeah. a stop gap yep definitely yep. all right so don made big headlines this week patty gasso who i think everybody can universally look at and say has accomplished just about everything you can accomplish in the in the game of fast pitch softball i've had the good fortune of knowing patty for a long time had her team absolutely kick the out of us a couple of times you know, the first time we ever uh, ventured out to one of the really big tournaments when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech was the 2000 season. And that 2000 season, the first game of the year for us, we played Oklahoma at uh, Tucson. Top of the first inning, we scored a run. And I'm thinking, all right, hey, we're we're in business now. We, we got this. Yeah, we're, we're, we can play with these guys. Well, 16 runs later, and we still had one. Let's just say that we knew that we were uh, had jumped into a, a, a deeper part of the you're pool like, than we like, thought we were what, ready what, for. What just happened here? Yeah, right? and uh, that was the year that Oklahoma won their first ever national championship. Kick our season off that year playing a great team like Oklahoma was very, very exciting and in hindsight, you know, uh, meaningful. But over the years, uh, when I was working at Tennessee Tech, we were, did a lot of work with Worth and uh, Patty's teams have been sponsored by Worth and now Rawlings. 
and got to know her really well. She did a bunch of our you know coaches clinics and and things like that. But she has uh, officially now been given a new contract. She is the highest paid coach in softball, really setting a new mark, a whole a whole new world for college softball coaches. Patty's uh, new contract is for one point six two five million dollars, and that's per year. Per year, which put in perspective for all of our listeners is a gigantic amount of money in a sport like softball. Really, it's a gigantic amount of money in any sport at the college level outside of you know the big famous coaching sports of football, basketball. And it puts her on par with you know the highest paid coaches in the country in, in college baseball, or, and by far she's the highest paid coach in college softball. The reason I want us to talk about it is because I think people are going to see that headline. They're going to see how much Patty is making, and I think that we all want to jump to the conclusion that these college coaches are all rolling in the money. Right. They're not making Patty Gasso money, but if she's getting one point six, you know, I bet you everybody else is getting one point three and one point two and or even half a million. Yeah, and, and you know, five hundred thousand dollars a year and all this kind of stuff. While there are a handful of coaches that are making really big money coaching in softball, and it's there's definitely a pecking order, there's definitely a hierarchy. But this is way different too than than when we were there. Right. Well, and honestly, it's way different than it still is for a lot of for the majority. Uh, a lot of college coaches. And yeah. that's what I want us to talk about cuz uh, we talked about camps last week and I had an email from one of our listeners who basically came back with the camps are nothing but money makers. All they're doing is, you know, trying to make more money for their coaches. And that tied in with this announcement about Patty making so much money and being, you know, very well deserved very hard worked for, very earned, highest paid coach in in college softball history, that it makes people think like camps are just being greedy, like they're just piling on, they're just trying to make more money and they're already so rich. And that's just not the case. So let's kind of put this in perspective. And when we look at the hierarchy of coaching salaries, now you have Patty Gasso at the very top of the pyramid. And I'm going to venture to say she's probably making twice as much ish as anyone else as the second highest paid coach in college softball maybe even more than twice as much a little more than twice and don't get me wrong there's you know there are uh probably 10 or 12 other coaches at the highest level of division one that are making that half a million dollars a year ish type salary and yes for coaching softball that is a heck of a lot of money and i'm not trying to sing the blues because you know obviously if you're looking at you know, Nick Saban making $12 million a year or Jimbo Fisher making $10 million a year compared to the college football coaches, you know, it's, it's night and day. We want to just make sure that people have kind of a little bit more of a perspective on it. So you've got that other group of 10 or so that are really very well paid. They're very well, you know, taken care of for the work that they do. They get, you know, a very good salary of a lot of money basically for coaching softball. Then there's that next level down, which is probably another, I'm going to say 25%-ish. And again, this is just you know venturing guesses based on what I know and all those years I spent coaching. You're going to have another 25%-ish that are all in that $100,000 a year range. Right. Somebody's making 125, somebody's making 90, but they're all kind of in that range. So when we add that all up, we're just going to say about 26%, 27%, of the people coaching college softball are making $100,000 or more. Right. So a lot of coaches making less than that $100,000 threshold. Now, again, 
for a lot of us, the idea of, wow, I can make $100,000 being a softball coach. I'd take that job forever, which is true. But now let's talk about the other, you know, 73% or whatever it is of coaches. Out of that group, there's probably half of that group, maybe half of that group are 50,000 to 100,000. Right. And everybody else is making less than that. Okay, well, $50,000 a year for being a softball coach, that's great. I would do that in a heartbeat. Okay, when you think about what coaching at the college level is, we're not talking about it's a part-time thing. It's we're not a, talking about you get to 12 do months. It's, a, it's 12 yeah. months, seven days a week, much of the year, you know, phone nonstop calls, recruiting, phone calls, phone calls, calls at, at night. night, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And even if, if we all looked at it and said, wow, for $50,000, that's a great job. I'd love to be a softball coach. Out of that group that's less than 50, there's an awful lot of college coaches, head college coaches right now making in that $23,000, a year range. A lot. And you them. wonder how this can be, but, but, but they it's, love it. It's the reality. And, yeah. And those programs, when they're running a camp to supplement their income, I hope people mm-hmm. stop thinking that these coaches are just being greedy. These are a lot of cases, coaches that are doing it because without that additional income, without that uh, you know extra money from camps and speaking engagements and, and things like that, they'd be hard-pressed to stay in the coaching business. So for full disclosure, the most I ever made as a, as a head coach in my entire coaching career, and I stopped coaching in 2016, was $72,000 a year. Which is a nice salary. Which was a very nice salary. I felt like I was getting well paid for what I was doing. But now my first coaching job, when I started at UW Parkside, way back in the 90s, my first salary was $4,000 a year. But you did it because you loved it. And I did it because I loved it. I wanted to be a college coach. And I hoped that sooner than later, it would lead to a real job. So when I started coaching at the college level, I was still substitute teaching you know, to try to supplement the income. We were doing camps and clinics and things like that to try to supplement the income a little bit. Harry had a full-time job not coaching so that I could coach. And there's a lot more of those kinds of stories even still going on now. When we start to look at assistant coaches, volunteer assistants who are trying to, you know, become professional coaches so they are working, doing lessons and those kinds of things to, to have an income so that they can be involved in coaching. There's just an awful lot of college coaches that are not making very much money in relationship to the time, effort, and work that they're putting in. And I'm not trying to sing the blues because they're, they're doing something they love. When I was making $25,000 a year as a head coach, I felt like I it's had the best job and, in the world. Yeah, yeah. When I was making $30,000, $35,000 as a head coach, I was as happy as could be because I, I could afford to live and I loved doing what I was doing. And I woke up every day and it never felt like a work. The fact that I could have made more money doing other things never entered into my my way of thinking reason that this is also valuable is, you know, so we want to say congratulations to Patty Gasso. It's amazing that she's setting the mark, setting a bar. Yeah. And I hope that, you know, here in, in, you know, the coming years, we're going to hear about lots of other coaches that are up there. But, you know, one of the things that for people that are on the inside of the college softball game, if somebody wanted to take the time and compile a list, and I know you can, because especially for the public schools, now private schools, I don't think they have to disclose what they're paying their coaches. But if you want to do the data search, you can go to each state in the United States and go through their state employees and find out exactly what every coach is making. It's public record. You know, you'd be surprised how much or slash how little 
some coaches that we think of as legendary coaches are really making for for being softball coaches. A lot of it depends on where you're coaching. A lot of it depends on the you know the how deep the financial pool is at a school. You know the SEC coaches are typically all better paid than most everybody else. Um, obviously, the Big Twelve with Texas and Oklahoma, they're they're getting ready to dominate or try to dominate the SEC in a couple of years. So their coaches are very well paid. They're getting well taken care of at certain schools. But even in those power conferences, I would be willing to bet you everything I have. I took the highest paid SEC softball head coach and the lowest paid SEC head softball coach. You'd be shocked at how wide that gap is. I'm going to be willing to bet that you know the person at the top of that list, whether it's Tim Walton or Patrick Murphy or you know whoever it is is five or six times higher than the person the at lowest. the at the low end of the the spectrum and again you know more power to the people that are successful more power to the people that have earned the 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 place in the in the food chain where they're getting well paid for what they do but also let's not lose perspective on it and think that because we saw a headline about how you know this amazing deal that Patty Gasso has signed that it means that every college coach in America is rolling in the dough. That's just not the norm, no. right? Yeah, again, I think it's exciting that they're starting to get paid more because like you were talking about, you're 24-7, you know, just involved with it and you kind of get lost in that with your time and it's nice if they are getting recognized financially. Right. You know, it's just not the norm. No. And it's exciting to see, but it's not the norm. And again, that comes with a lot of pressure now. Right. If you're making those kind of dollars as a salary, the pressure is on you to to perform or for your team to perform. And that that pressure just rolls right on down through the group. So right. it's going to be interesting to see how all that stuff goes. Yeah, and and the one thing I would be curious to see because we had, you know, one very high profile position that was open this year at Texas A&M. They ended up hiring Trisha Ford, who'd had great success at Arizona State. But the word in the in the pipeline was that they had gone hard after the biggest names in the coaching business. Everybody got a pay raise, right? If they if they yeah. made a run at uh, at Patty Gasso, considering that Oklahoma now is you know the odds-on favorite to win the national championship every year, and because Oklahoma clearly supports their softball program, they are you know when it comes to the NIL money and and all that stuff, you know they're going to have a ten million dollar stadium that's every bit as amazing as it can possibly be, they're not going to be building a $10 million stadium and watch their national championship coach walk out the door. Right. She might have, that might have been part of her race. So who knows for sure. So, and and if that, that kind of thing starts to happen more and more, it'd be great for this, you know, for the sport. But again, it's still only going to really impact that very small, very top percentage. You know, there, there's no way in the world that Oklahoma Baptist University really cares how much Oklahoma is paying Patty Gasso. They've got whatever they've got to pay their softball coach, and that's what that softball coach is going to get. Doesn't matter how much Florida pays Tim Walton. Florida A and M or Florida Tech has what they have to pay, and they're not going to be you know influenced by it. But it is a, a fun thing to see. So keep it all in perspective. And to my uh, a listener who thinks that camps are nothing but a cash grab because these greedy coaches are all trying to get richer, I promise. It's much more likely that it's an assistant coach. It's or, an assistant yeah. coach that desperately needs the money so that they can stay in coaching. Um, just kind of keep that all in perspective. So, Don, that's going to take us to our cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. 
It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. You're a big fan of the Pinnacle stuff. I know you and the family love it. No, we do. And uh, they've actually done some repackaging and and rebranding of all their stuff because they are uh, branching out and doing a lot more with schools. And again, it's just a nice, healthy way to get some protein into your diet and uh, an easy way to to consume a product that's going to help you athletically. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Keep you healthy. Yeah. So take advantage of that. EFP 10 discount is going to save you 10%. It's also going to help support everything fast pitch at the same time. So we've been spending a little bit of time, Don, talking about recruiting and some things, ins and outs and do's and don'ts for for kids and families. One thing I wanted to talk about today, because I've seen a couple of things online that have really kind of piqued my interest a little bit, is how does a player and her family figure out what's the right school? How do they sort through all this? And one of the things that you know I think is important and, and what I want us to talk about today is helping the, the kids that are going to be you know, going on this journey of trying to figure out if and where they want to play in college, a way to keep score, kind of a scorecard, kind of a cheat sheet, whatever you want to call it, that helps them kind of keep notes, keep tabs, and really have a maybe a little bit more logical way of sorting through the stuff that they're seeing and hearing. And um, I saw something uh, the other day that was a uh, published as a reflection guide and, you know, something that... Like a journal or... Right, a, that, a, yeah. that a team was giving to their players when they would go visit schools. And it was, you know, different things, you know, the campus community, the housing, the food, the, you know, relationship with the coaches, you know, watching practice, how you thought you fit in, all these different topics. And then it was either yes, maybe, or no were the three choices that they gave each Kid for each, each category. Yep. And whether it's yes, maybe, no, or a scale of one to 10 or whatever it is, my recommendation now is for anybody that's, uh, that's on this path, thinking about college softball, to start doing something like that. Whatever makes sense for you, whatever works best for you. you know, I've always talked about in, when we do our recruiting seminar and on the videos that are on the uh, YouTube channel at the fastpitchprep.com website, is that a player should have a list. And the reason I always thought a list was important is it was a, you know, a tangible thing that they could look at and pay attention to and, and kind of keep a scorecard. Well, however you do it, it's something I think every kid should be doing and every parent should be doing. No, Tori, I think that's fabulous. And we've talked about uh, in the past about you know, when you make that choice, you want to be really confident that you've looked and, and had a chance to make a good plan and to not wonder, well, what, what, what is it like at this other school? And I like your idea here of doing it as a team, because we're all limited to how many places we can go to. It's just, I mean, it takes a weekend to maybe see a school or two, and we run out of weekends because we're playing ball every weekend, or we're training, or we're practicing, we're doing all these other things. So, you know, if I like a particular school A, I really, I like the campus, and we graded it. I like the interaction with the, the team and the practices and all the thing, the checklists that you create that you're talking about. If I have an opportunity to go see school Z, you know, all the way down through, and someone says, well, it's just like school A. And then I go, well, I really love school A, 
well, I'm going to take the time to go see it. Right. But if it's like school C, I'm not as excited about the campus life or the, the interaction. And they say it's a lot like school C within the, the team group or evaluation. Then, then I'll go, well, I might not be able to make time this weekend to go do that because it sounds like it might not be the school for me. And, and I think one of the reasons that it's important is, you know, in the excitement of the moment, I think everything typically feels bigger and better and nicer and prettier and stronger than it, you know, than it might be over the long haul. Because it is exciting. Right. And if we have that checklist, that guideline uh, that we're going to go back and, you know, and actually ponder on and reflect on and then give a score to the things that I'm seeing, I think I'm going to be much clearer in what I really have seen and, and, a, and a better way to be able to compare and contrast. The other thing about it is, and, and Don, you hit on a really good point. So let's say you visited a school, you know, you took one weekend, the first weekend in June, and you went and you visited three or four schools. And then you played softball all the way through Colorado. So now it's the second week in July. You finally have a weekend again to go out and look at maybe two or three or four more schools. Well, how much do you really remember from the first weekend in June if you didn't make some notes, if you didn't take some pictures, if you didn't Get keep a diary? Yeah. And out of those three or four schools that you saw that weekend, are you really, when you think about it, as you said, school A, and you, and you think that you remember that their food and their cafeteria was awesome. But because it all is kind of blending together in your mind, it was really school C, but you pick school A and you go back you know, a year and a half or two years later and the food is absolute dog food. Hmm. Why did I remember it being so good, or why did I remember it being so you know so different than what it really is? It's right there on paper, right? And mm-hmm. and so, so whatever your scoring system is, whatever your scorecard is going to look like, it's up to each person to to come up with what's most important to them. Because when I talk about the list, what's most important to you and what's most important to me are going to be two different things, right? For one person, it might be can I start as a freshman? That's the only thing that matters to me. Mm-hmm. For somebody else, it might be. What's the quality of my degree going to be? So uh, what kind of career am I going to have when I'm, you know, 40? If I didn't have softball, would I still right. want to be in school here? And, yeah. and, and so for two different people, what's most important to them is going to be drastically different. And so, but we got to have a way to keep track of it. And so let's say now, you know, that, that midweek in July, we've gone and seen two or three more schools. Now we've got six or seven in our hopper. If I don't have a way to keep track of six or seven things and sort them all out and go back and look, and look at it and rate number one to number seven, I'm going to be in big trouble. Well, so all of a sudden we get done with that weekend. We got five or six more weekends in a row of softball because it's qualifying time and then it's nationals and then it's you know, other nationals and then boom, we, I'm back we, to school. We run out of time. You know, so that last weekend, right before school starts again, I go and I see the, you know, try to go back to the two or three schools that I liked the most out of the seven that I saw. And, you know, it, it just adds another layer of potentially confusing and, and uh, conflicting information. And Tori, I like kind of what you're, I think I was hearing it correctly, but if we're doing this as a group or as a team, um, some of my teammates are probably at a similar skill level that I'm at. So I might also be, you know, at a point where I could contribute athletically at, at different schools. If they've gone to a couple of schools that they just thought were amazing, that might be a, a thing for me to say, well, hey, if she thought it was really great for whatever reason right. on our list, that might be worth me spending my time going to check it out as well. Right. Well, and if I wasn't clear enough, I'll make sure I understand, lay it out there. So I'm saying we can do this in one of two ways. One is we definitely do it as a team, 
kind of shared experience where we're all sharing our information, sharing our notes, and comparing and contrasting with each other for the things that we like. Yeah. If we're not doing that, the bare minimum we should be doing is each and every one of us should individually be doing our own scoring system. Cool. And yep. then that way, um, if, if it helps somebody else, that's great. But the most important thing is that we're doing what we have to do to make sure we're making the right choice. Because I can tell you over the you know, years of doing this, that there's way too high of a percentage of kids that end up really unhappy and they end up really unhappy very quickly in their college careers. And an awful lot of the stuff that makes them really unhappy is stuff that was exactly the same. Avoidable. It, yeah, nothing changed. What, what's making them unhappy now was exactly the same as it was when they visited. The dorm rooms are tiny and they look like a jail cell. Well, when you visited the campus, you saw the dorm room, you knew it was tiny cinder block room with no windows and it felt like a jail cell. The food services were... The food that you ate when you went there to visit was awful. And now you're there as a freshman and the food is awful and you're living in a cinder block bunker. Well, you knew those things before you said yes, before you picked that school, but... If you didn't have a scorecard, if you didn't have a way of looking back at your notes and saying, I hate the dorms, I hate the food, but if you choose a school knowing you hate the food and you hate the dorms, but you love the coaches or you love the school or you love the reputation or whatever it is enough, well, that's, you know, just, you know, then, then you made your bed and you made your choice. But for a lot of kids, it's like they wake up halfway through their freshman year and the stuff that they hate is exactly what it was when they thought they were in love with going to the school. And yeah, we don't want to run out of time checking these things out, right? right? And, and, and we don't want to mess it up because we you know, confuse ourselves because we see just enough of everything that we don't know for sure exactly what it is that we remember seeing. And so all those things I think are important. Yeah, no, I think that this is a great concept. And yeah. again, don't run out of time. Get started on this. Yeah, and keep score. And the last thing I'm going to throw out there is, parents, you should have a scorecard too. I was almost going to say that. But your scorecard shouldn't be making your kid's decision for her. Her scorecard should be making her decision. And yeah, different things. Do I like the setting, the environment? Right. And because we know, you know, no matter how close you are to your child, your child's list is going to be different than yours. Well, and you don't want them saying, you know, you made me go to school here. Right. Or you don't want them trying to fool themselves into thinking they're going to like something because you like it. And they need to be a big right. part of this. Yeah, Cause yeah. unfortunately if, they, if they're not happy when they get to school, you'll all end up unhappy because they're going to be the <laughs> ones that make you miserable for the, while they're miserable. Right. So the reflection guide, the scorecard, the way to keep track, it's a really good idea. If you're going to go and try to figure out where you want to play in college, you definitely need to be doing that stuff. So, so. Co- coaches can help set their kids up with something like this, right? Yeah, definitely. So down our coaching tip of the week this week, Something I've been pondering on uh, here in this last 10 days or so. So last week I mentioned that uh, Coach Torrey's had some medical setbacks. Well, here's, uh, I'm just going to lay it out there for you so you know for sure exactly what happened. Without a few very miraculous things happening, I would not be alive today to be talking to you about softball anymore. If the circumstances hadn't worked out that somebody happened to be where I was when I had my problems, I would have laid out there on the grass until I died. Somebody would have found me. That's what would have happened. Good fortune was that somebody was coming. You know, my good friend John was coming to borrow the lawnmower. When he pulled in, tried to help him load the lawnmower up, and that's when I fell out. And the next thing I remember is waking up in the hospital and having the doctors uh, tell me that they had to resuscitate me. So, 
That's here's cra- what that's crazy. Here, here's what I wanted to share today is the coaching tip of the week. So what I learned from this brush with mortality and the lights almost going out is most of us take coaching way too seriously. We invest way too much in it. I am the absolute type A biggest example of taking this, you know, something that is a passion and turning it into something that that passion can become too much, too hard, too damaging, too difficult, and want to share some advice with all of our our listeners. So number one is slow down and, and enjoy life besides just coaching. Don't take it so seriously. Don't try to invest so much in it that it becomes this all-consuming thing. If softball is, and coaching softball is, the number one thing in your life, I think you need to reevaluate that a little bit. And I'm just going to tell you that from perspective because for an awful lot of my life, I've made it and felt like and treated it like it was the most important thing. And that was really, really stupid. So slow down, smell the coffee, smell the flowers, you know, go to a movie, take a weekend off, you know, give your team a weekend off to, you know, go do something fun. If you want to go do something fun with your team, that's okay too, but make it something fun. That's not softball fun. Go rafting, go camping, go, you know, to the lake and, you know, tube or, or, you know, float, you know, float on the river or whatever it is. Second thing I wanted to talk about is make sure that you're showing appreciation. So from a coaching perspective, we spend an awful lot of time, I think, talking ourselves into thinking that everybody should appreciate what we're doing for them. I'm sacrificing my time to coach this team. I'm sacrificing my money to help, you know, these players. I'm sacrificing my, you know, time with my family to coach this team. While there is some truth in all those things, I think that what that leads us to then is not showing our appreciation for others enough. So whether it's your spouse that supports what you're doing and, and cuts you the slack to give you the time to be out there coaching, if it's your family that is you know, making some sacrifices, maybe your own kid knows that you don't get to come watch them play in a football game sometime because you're coaching a softball game or whatever it is. You know, if it's your family or or friends that are supporting you that, you know, the the friend that comes over and feeds your dog while you're gone for the nationals for a week, if it's, you know, whatever those different people are in your life that are doing things to help support what you're doing, we need to make sure that we show more appreciation. The other part of that that I think we need to do is we need to show appreciation to the people that we're coaching more. And again, this is something, again, you know, we, we always think about, well, what we're doing for them. Well, without them, we're not doing anything. So making sure that we show that appreciation. And then the last one I was going to throw out there, Don, for us to consider in our, in our, for our coaches is to just let more people know how you feel. A hug is a beautiful thing. Uh, a thank you is a beautiful thing. I love you is a beautiful thing. And to make sure that the people in your life that you should be and, and want to be saying those things to, that you keep doing it and that you do it as often as you can. Because when I was out there working on my property a week ago Saturday, I did not expect to wake up in the hospital with no idea how I got there. That's just crazy, Tori. Well, yeah. Some good news is I got a whole bunch of extra plumbing in my heart. My heart's you know looking a whole lot better and I feel a lot better. I'm getting better and stronger every single day. But, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about all this stuff. And, you know, I think the fact that, um, you know, we call our podcast everything fast pitch means that, you know, in our lives, fast pitch softball has been a pretty big deal for a long time. For sure. Um, and it will continue to be a big deal in my life. I'm not trying to say that either, but I'm also going to try to do a much better job with whatever time I have left of doing these things. You know, if I, if I live to be 90 and that's when I punch the clock, I don't want to 
go out wishing I you know, told my son that I loved him that morning or patting somebody on the back and saying, hey, I really appreciate the fact that you did this for me, or you know, I can't tell you how much it means to me that you've supported me in what I'm doing. And so, so that's my coaching tip of the week, coaches. We got, got to keep it real because none of us like thinking about it, but it definitely uh, you know, po- you know, made me ponder on something very, very simple. It's, at some point in time, I'm not going to be doing anything ever. So let's not have our, our parting shot being, uh, I wish I would have slowed down. I wish I would have shown people appreciation. I wish I would have told somebody I love them. Uh, let's make sure we're doing all that stuff all, all the time. And then that way, when you do punch the clock, it won't be quite as traumatic. Tori, I'm sure glad John was there and uh, you're feeling better and yeah. doing well. And I think that's all, all good stuff. It, it, it's a crazy thing, my friend. But I just wanted to share that because I think uh, um, it, it's important for all of our listeners to know one of the goals I've had since we started doing this podcast, and I think everybody who's listened to it more than a couple of times understands, I look back on, on my career and my life in coaching, and for everything that I'm proud of, I have another thing that I wish I would have or wish I could have. I should have known better kind of situation. If somebody who's listening to this podcast is a better coach because they don't make the same mistakes that I made or they can do something better than I did it because we're, you know, we're talking you know, honestly yeah. about the stuff that's gone on, to me, that's what this is really supposed to all be. You know, I, I feel very, very fortunate. I had a very successful winning college coaching career. I've had a great opportunity now for the last uh, six years plus to work with a lot of different kids that I really love working with as, a, as an instructor. And all that's been great. But I also think that, you know, with that experience comes a whole lot of knowledge. And, you know, we talk about all the time, there's expensive experience and there's inexpensive experience. You know, inexpensive experience is you, you tell me something you wish you had done better. I hear you tell me that story and I do it better. Right. Or I hear you tell me the story about something you wish you had done better. I do the exact same thing you did. And then I wake up 20, you know, 30 years later going, man, I wish I wouldn't have been so stupid. Well, the stupid thing is that you knew it wasn't going to work because I told you it doesn't work and right. you did it anyhow. But so anyhow, so that's just the, the, the moral to the story. You know, Coach Don and I love getting together with Stan every week. Love talking about all this stuff, but we want to you know, keep it real. So hopefully that uh, gives you something to ponder on yourself. So that's going to wrap up episode number 234. As always, please make sure you support our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company, Bidinger and Styles DDS, Elite Sporting Goods, and Pinnacle Power Butter. If you're in a position where you can, please become a patron, patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. Go to the fastpitchprep.com website, order your Square Cuts training discs, check out the blogs and uh, the YouTube channel. There's a ton, ton, ton of information available to you there. Uh, Make sure you reach out to us with ideas, topics, and player of the week nominations, please. Uh, Everythingfastpitch at gmail.com and fastpitchprep at gmail.com. So for Coach Don McKinley... Our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tori saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.